You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. All right. Good morning, everybody. I appreciate that. I'm Andrew Shea. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff. Very glad to be with you guys. Wonderful things happening. Would love for you guys to jump into these opportunities if it seems like it's the right time for you, either community groups, baptisms, whatever it may be. Uh, You know, a lot of you are asking me, what's the deal on June 15th? What's going to change about the mask mandates and what's going on here at the Senior Center? And uh, I have the same exact question as you. Because I don't know. I have no direction whatsoever that's been given to us and none that's been given to the Senior Center. I really feel like this date, it's going to be something like on June 14th, we see if a groundhog sees its shadow and then we decide what we're going to do with masks at that point. Like it just seems so arbitrary and there's no information out there. So when I know something, I will let you guys know something as far as if there's changes. I can send you an email or something like that. But what I do know is there's a lot of great things that God is up to in this community. Uh, Just celebrating that last week was probably our highest attended gathering. It was the highest attended gathering since we resumed gathering many months ago. So can we praise God for that? And there was uh, near 90 kids in the children's ministry, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's about, I would say, 60 to 65% of our pre-COVID attendance. So we're still not there yet, but we're really moving in the right direction. And it really meant that the children's ministry needs to get going with that second children's ministry service at 830, uh, because 90 kids is a lot of kids. That's a VBS going on every single Sunday. Uh, So we're 10 volunteers away. That's all it's going to take for us to launch. We're looking at launching in early July. So very excited about that. I'll tell you, I'm also excited because the month of May, I believe, was the highest month of giving recorded since the new year. And so I want to commend all of you, my brothers and sisters, who saw the State of the Church update, who heard the need, the shortfall, the serious trend that was developing in this community and said, we're going to meet that need Uh, We have stopped the bleeding. The momentum is moving in the right direction. It just needs to be sustained. So thank you, all of you who have decided to give and contribute generously. Uh, And thank your brothers and sisters who are doing the same thing. I can tell you I'm encouraged because next week, not this week, but the following week, is the gathering of lead pastors in Huntington Beach. What I'm praying and hoping is going to be the largest gathering of Huntington Beach pastors in the city's history over at our Branches Warehouse to talk about Serve City, the vision for churches to collaborate together, to serve together, to make Jesus known and famous among our neighbors. And uh, I want you guys to continue to pray for unity. Pray that people show up to this meeting in their busy schedules. Pray that there's humility because that's really the backbone of unity amongst the churches. Uh, And also just pray that prayer rises up in this city. I think we all know what a lifeline prayer was over this last year. I believe it was the difference between thriving and really struggling in this last year. Were we praying? Were we seeking the Lord through all the challenges that we were facing? And one of the things that I've been talking about all this last week is this passion that's developing for citywide prayer among all the Christians. And I believe that we're going to be hosting a once-a-month gathering that invites all the churches, all the Christians in the city to be praying for this city together. I believe that's going to come out of Surf City and even be started in the next couple of months. If you want to be a part of any of this stuff, 
Talk to me. I want to hear from you guys. If you got questions about finances? Talk to me. Everything is an open book. We're looking for participation from among all of the believers of this church family. So I can't tell you what's going to go on June 15th. All right, honestly, to me, that is a sub-point in all that God is doing. I don't have control over those policies, but we do have control over what we do for God's kingdom in this city, and so many great things are happening. I hope that you guys are as encouraged as I am. Okay, let's open up to Matthew chapter 8. We are going to get into God's Word. So open up there with me, if you will, last week. We were looking at a really short passage, just sort of this transitionary episode where Jesus was escaping from the pressure of the crowds, and he was seeking to get on a boat with the disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he was stopped by two prospective disciples on the way, and they kind of set up these teachings on discipleship. And Jesus said, look, discipleship with me, following me, does not come with any guarantee of worldly gain. And following me ought to take priority over any earthly agenda. It's a pretty challenging set of teachings, but it's one that, you know, is good for us to hear. All the hard teachings of Jesus are still teachings that are calling us into what is truly life. And now Jesus is going to continue this movement toward the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's actually going to get in the boat today and not be stopped again. And he's going to be seeking that rest, right? But that rest is going to be short-lived because here we're going to have two confrontations with different powers. We're going to see Jesus confront the powers of natural disasters as well as demons in these two episodes that follow. Let's read here, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. Then he got into the boat, that is Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out. And went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Our confrontations today begin in the setting of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. It's not a sea. It's a very large lake. But it all starts on the Sea of Galilee. There the disciples have actually gotten together with Jesus. They've gotten to the boat and they're shoving off and a violent storm is kicked up. And we know that it's a violent storm because of some of the language that's used here. The same word used for storm, translated storm here, is actually in the Greek the word for earthquake, seismos. It means shaking, right? Like seismic waves, right? The boat was shaking and it says that the boat was engulfed with water. 
You know, if you could think about it, the boat's there on the waves, and the waves are cresting so high that if you were to look at it, you would have the boat disappear. That's the image that's being conveyed. That's how high the waves are, actually, that are sweeping aboard their vessel. So this is a really big deal for the disciples because, you know, hey, in the ancient world, we don't have these boats that are built like modern boats that are meant to, like, wick water and drain. This is basically, in the ancient world, the equivalent of a big bucket. It's probably overloaded with these 13 gentlemen that are on board. And you have to remember, these guys, this is the ancient world. They're not wearing Patagonia windbreakers and Sperry's and life jackets. They're in the middle of the lake. They're in trouble, okay? And they're soaking wet. It's a disaster, and they're a bit afraid. Now, where's Jesus during all this? He's asleep. You know, he's actually living what he told one of those prospective disciples the previous week, right, in our study. He said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, and he's actually sleeping, and this is the only place he's found to rest, aboard this open boat in the middle of a storm. And I don't know whether he's sleeping because he's got this peace of heart, because he's the Son of God, or just because he's exhausted, if you look at everything that happened before, but he's he's asleep. And the disciples awaken him because they're afraid, like I said, and you know that this is a serious storm because these are fishermen, some of them. They've been on the Sea of Galilee before. All right, they know some of the storms that happen because it's below sea level and there's some steep hills around. Squalls were pretty common there. But this one's a serious one because when they address him, they say, Lord, save us. We're drowning. We're dying. They're in a place of panic. You know, these are the same guys who are going to tell Jesus, you know, hey, Jesus, I will go with you to the death. Now, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom in its fullness, you know, would you place me at your right hand and me at your left? And then the waves and the wind starts to kick up, and these guys are like, ah, we're going to die, right? I mean, that's the panic. They've lost it. You know, fear has taken a hold of them. I don't know if you've ever been in a place of panic where fear has taken hold of you. You kind of lose yourself. One of my earliest memories is from a moment of panic. I don't have a lot of memories from my childhood. I just didn't make a lot of memories, but I'll always remember this. My first time being in that panic place was at the happiest place on earth, supposedly, Disneyland. You always got to throw in the supposedly there. It's not always the happiest place on earth. It wasn't for me this day. I don't know if I was four or five years old. Maybe I was even younger. You can ask my parents because they took me on the haunted house, and they're here this morning. And uh, everything was great until the ceiling started stretching above me. I don't know if you remember that moment in the ride. And that was the moment I knew my parents didn't love me. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I know they love me. They're here. But like that was the feeling was how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? And in fact, that is the statement that I yelled out multiple times from that moment all the way until we were walking off the ride. And that's the beginning of the ride, by the way. How could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? They're nodding their heads, yes. When I went back, you know, just two years ago and went on that same ride, I heard a kid crying. I thought that was still my voice echoing from 30 years earlier in that space. I mean... It was a place of fear. It was a place of panic. I'd lost myself. I'd lost all sense of where I was. That's the disciples. They're overtaken with panic. They're screaming and yelling. They're believing they're going to die. And yet, what does Jesus say is the real issue for his disciples? First thing he says, you of little faith, you faithless, why are you so afraid? The concern is not their abundance of fear, 
His concern is the absence of their faith. Again, he's not targeting and saying, guys, you've got so much fear, you've got to put away your fear, deal with your fears right now. Why are you so scared? He says, you of little faith, you faithless, you're lacking trust in me. Why are you so afraid? We have to understand the same dynamic often happens in our life. The fears that we experience, the worries that we have in our life are often not the problem in and of themselves. They are a symptom of the absence of faith, of trust in our lives. You know, what did I say to my parents in that moment when I was afraid? I said, how could you do this to me? They had broken trust with me. I didn't feel secure anymore. If I had felt secure with my parents, I wouldn't have been so afraid. In the same way, if we live lives where we're experiencing security in our relationship with our Father in heaven, that oftentimes will fill the space where fear can manifest itself inside of us. So I could ask you and sit down with you because we all have different worries and concerns and fears and anxieties. I could sit down and go, what are your fears? What are your worries? What are your concerns? And we could walk through those. And we could talk about managing those and some solutions for those and coping with those fears, right? But again, that may be just treating the symptoms of what's really going on at a deeper level. If we really want to address some of our core fears and anxieties and worries, a better question rather than asking, what are we afraid of, is to ask, whom is it that we serve? Who is it that we're serving? To meditate and dwell and think about the relationship that we enjoy with our Heavenly Father in a roundabout way, or maybe in a very direct way, addresses many of those anxieties and fears that we might try to address separately. Whom are we serving? It's precisely the sort of worshipful exclamation that the disciples give when they see Jesus do what in this scene? When he rebukes the winds and the waves, he says, stop! And it goes completely calm. And imagine that, if you will, that setting where he says, stop! It goes completely calm. You can almost see the clouds part, the sun come through with its rays, right? The momentum of the waves starts to lessen. The boat stops rocking and becomes still. And there the disciples are still gasping for breath, right? Soaking wet from the wind and the rain, saying, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the authority of the Lord that we follow. You know, with the politics, with the social division, with the technological developments, with the economy, he just needs to say the word stop, and it'll all obey him. World leaders, the stock market, computer networks, all the way down to the inner workings of our lives and our human biology, obey the words of Jesus. Oh, you and I of little faith, why are we so afraid? Consider that. You and I of little faith, faithless, why are we so afraid? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's the first episode. The second episode, you know, speaking of fear, is a little bit scary when they get to the other side of the lake. They're greeted by not one, but two demon-possessed individuals that are both literally and symbolically living among the dead in this graveyard. 
These guys are straight from the zombie apocalypse, all right, the way that it's described. They are so out of their minds, they're so crazy, no one can even traverse this particular area. Now, demon possession and oppression, do you guys think that still happens? Okay, we get a lot of yeses. Probably after this last year, everyone's like, oh, yeah, (laughs) COVID year, yeah. I wasn't so sure, but now... When I grew up in Arizona, a little perfect suburb, nice suburb in Arizona, I just, I didn't think this was all just happening around me. I, I don't know, I had the perfect little suburban life, right? You get your Starbucks every day, you know, you go to Applebee's on a Friday, AMC movies on a Saturday. You guys know what I'm talking about over here. Someone loves Applebee's. And that was it, Right. I mean, this is the kind of stuff when you read this sort of episode that goes on in, you know, third world countries, developing nations, pre-modern civilizations. That's what I thought until I moved to California. Then I moved to California. And let me tell you guys something. I can drop a pin in your Maps app for some locations where if you were to walk through that location, you'd encounter something very similar to what you see in Matthew chapter 8, right? You know, in America, we've done a pretty good job of maintaining like a spiritually manicured society where in the most traversed areas, you don't encounter a lot of this stuff. It kind of feels like when you walk through a park in Laguna Beach and you don't even see a leaf on the ground and you're like, how is this possible? Do the leaves just not fall off the trees in this perfect place? You know, it's just perpetual life in Laguna Beach. No, it's because they put a lot of effort into maintaining that area and manicuring the grounds. But California, for all of its spiritual manicuring, we know, right, there is still spiritual landfills. There are still spiritual septic systems where people collect and gather together and rot in systems of spiritual oppression. Now, while the good majority of people are more than happy to live with that, blissfully unaware of that spiritual oppression, Jesus came to dispose of it. He came to confront spiritual oppression. And apparently the demons are aware of that. They say to Jesus when he arrives, Son of God, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? And in this one statement, we get a little bit of a look, a window into demon psychology, not that any of us needs that. But whereas we live with this vision and hope of future and perpetual glory, these tormentors live with this vision of perpetual torment akin to their nature. At present, they're begging Jesus in this scene to be sent into this herd of pigs. Now, why do they have that request? Is it because demons in their nature have this drive to work out and gratify this destructive behavior, whether it's going to be through these men or through these pigs? It's got to be one thing or the other. I don't know. I don't have a degree in demon psychology, but all I know is what it says right here on the surface. And all we know is that Jesus does not entertain a long dialogue with these demons. He simply demonstrates his authority over them, his unequivocal authority over them, By saying one word, go, and they leave. And the result is a sort of, you know, outflow of what you'd expect from demonic work and activity, the sort of chaos and filth where they enter into the pigs, they drive them headlong off a cliff, and they all drown. I can't imagine standing there and listening to the sound of these pigs trampling and then splashing in the water and squealing until they sink beneath the surface. I bet it'd be quite the spectacle, a little bit frightening. 
And it was for the owners of the pigs because they run off into town and tell all about what has just occurred. Now, what happens next? Verse 34 tells us the whole town came out to greet Jesus. And did they come out to greet Jesus with fanfare and a feast, a wreath, a gift bag, you know, something for Jesus because of what he's just accomplished? No. The spiritual liberation of the demon-possessed man, this graveyard that they can now go back to and visit their ancestors in, right? None of that matters because they've been inconvenienced. No good deed goes unpunished. They tell Jesus, I want you to leave town. Nay, I want you to leave the entire region. We don't want to deal with you again. Were they upset about the pigs dying and the economic damage? Were they upset about, you know, sort of the, this fear of this unknown power that Jesus was manifesting? Or was it that they just didn't like that their lives were being disrupted? You know, they were sort of living probably in this middle ground between good and evil, their own version of the perfect American suburban life, where a little evil on the fringe was worth tolerating in town if they could just keep together the sameness of their preserved, perceived sense of security. Forget that these men had been freed from evil. That had nothing to do with them, right? They were inconvenienced. And I want us to consider for ourselves, if we could put ourselves into the setting here of this teaching, would we welcome a little more open confrontation with evil in our city, in our neighborhood, in our life, if it meant that the power and authority of Jesus would be put on display? Would we openly welcome a little bit more confrontation with blatant evil if it meant that the power and authority of Jesus would be more and more increasingly on display? Or do we like things to be calm? Do we want the spiritual septic tank, the spiritual landfills in society to just keep filling with oppressed people as long as they're filling somewhere else where we don't have to deal with it? Do we prefer that version of peace, that version of calm? Some people left this area in this last year because they felt inconvenienced by the politics of the area. Imagine how inconvenienced you'd be by the blatantly demonic if that was happening all around you. Are we afraid of those confrontations? We have little faith. Why are we so afraid? Jesus commands the winds and the waves and they obey him. The demons fear Jesus. They fear Jesus. I find it strange that Christians today, it's kind of a modern phenomenon, really seem to spend considerable time on social media trying to conceive of and figure out the systems of supposed hidden evil, spiritual conspiracies that may or may not be accurate, at least the way that we conceive of them. Well, at the same time, there is real evil, real sin, blatant demonic strongholds that are sitting out in broad daylight, and no one seems to give them much attention. Take, for instance, Skid Row. It's not a conspiracy. It's there. It's obvious. It's sitting right there in broad daylight, right? It's pouring out of L.A. County everywhere else. Take, for instance, 2.2 million people in the American prison system. Millions of people in prison. We just can't keep locking up more people. 
What's going on in the country? Over 400,000 foster youth in the system in America, near 430,000 foster youth. It's out there in broad daylight. It's obvious. It's clear. We're not really talking about it. If you were to take the testimony of a foster youth and ask them about their story, I'm sure their story intersects with at least a dozen, if not dozens of sins, one of which is Christian indifference. If you were to ask them about their experience, I bet they know evil. I bet 430,000 youth in this country, in that system, they all know evil for themselves. I think the sobering truth that I realize on the other side of this message is we love as Christians to hear a message about the authority of Jesus over evil. We love to listen to it from the Scriptures. But we don't so much love to go to the places of spiritual oppression and exercise the authority of Jesus. We love to hear about Jesus' power, theoretically speaking, over the spiritual forces and personalities of evil in the world. But we don't so much love to go to the places of spiritual oppression and take the authority of Jesus. This town was happy to leave those two men oppressed in a graveyard. Are we happy to fall into the same indifference with those who suffer around us? You know, when Jesus began his ministry at the outset of Matthew chapter 4, Matthew cites Isaiah the prophet, this vision for Jesus' ministry. Verse 12 of chapter 4, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, this area that he's ministering in, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We have little faith. What are we so afraid of? The kingdom of God has come near. A light has dawned on those who are living in the shadow of death. Living in the shadow of death in our neighborhood. Living in the shadow of death in Huntington Beach. Living in the shadow of death in this county and in this region of Southern California. And it's us who is bearing that light, going to the places of spiritual oppression, continuing the ministry of Jesus in the authority and in the name of Jesus. I want us to receive the invitation to be the kingdom workers that Jesus has commissioned all of us to be, to not be comfortable with this neutral middle ground as if there was one. To be neutral and indifferent is evil. It's sin. Those who know the good they ought to do and don't do it, they sin, it says in the Scriptures. So there is no neutral ground where we can just create and craft our perfect little life while others experience spiritual oppression. As Christians, we go those places. We don't fear those places. We believe in the authority of Jesus in those places to see spiritual freedom come. So let's receive that commission, all of us, you know what my neighbors do when they see spiritual oppression in this city? They complain on next door. That's all it is. God is forming something different with us as a people, as His disciples. We go those places in the authority of Jesus to see healing. So let's receive that commission by our Lord this morning. Afresh or again or to continue the work, 
the Lord is doing through us. Let's receive it. Lord Jesus, we consider what kind of man are you? You are more than a man. You are the son of God. Even the winds and the waves obey you. Politicians and governments will obey you. The economy will obey you. Lord, our society will, our human biology will. Everything is subject to your authority. And we believe that this morning. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us toward trust, toward faith. Through these accounts, Lord, through a remembrance of all the ways that you've shown yourself powerful and good and gracious in our lives, that we could bring before you this morning any of those fears, anxieties, worries that we have. Lord, what would heal so much of that for us would be to have a real sense in our heart, in our minds, of just how powerful you really are as our Heavenly Father. How much care you really take with each of us, even at times we feel, how could you do this to me? Yet, Lord, you are there. And you prove it time and time again. Lord, free us from our fears through a revelation and understanding of who you are so that we can see beyond ourselves so that we get taken out of the world that is just us and brought into the world where, Lord, you are confronting evil. You are confronting demonic strongholds. You are confronting spiritual oppression in our neighborhoods, in this city, in this region. Lord, there are probably people that live near us that we never even want to go near because it's inconvenient. We don't want to deal with that person. Lord, maybe that's the product of spiritual oppression. That's the place we are to go. We're the only ones who are going to go there because we're following your way, Jesus. Lord, prompt us with a different vision for what our life is all about. Send your church. Send your disciples. To see freedom for the oppressed. For your gospel's sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we enter a time of worship. And again, this is going to be that affirmation. Who is it that we serve? We know who it is that we serve. And maybe the Lord is going to bring a specific impression to you of a person, of a cause. He's guiding you to go and address, to bring spiritual light to, to bring that dawn of light into the people living in the shadow of death. Let's believe that the Lord can continue to bring those folks, those people, those, those oppressed to mind, to call us into service in His kingdom as we sing to our great King. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.